Welcome one, welcome all, welcome to the Young Dad Podcast. I'm Jay, and not with me, unfortunately, as always, is my beautiful, funny, gorgeous co-host, Aaron. It's Wednesday, February 8th, 2023, and we have a fantastic show for you today, despite Aaron not joining us. Joining myself today is the co-host, co-founder, owner, whatever it is, of 9 Plus Us, the Baseball Together Podcast, Little Briggy Blue Eyes, Brig, greet the people and tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. This is uh, this is exciting. Uh, like you said, I'm Briggy Blue Eyes. I started the Nine Plus Us thing and the Baseball Together thing, and that was in 2019, and it's been an adventure ever since. We've uh, we've had a lot of fun talking baseball at least once a week, and I've. I've, there's a lot more to it than that, but I'm a dad, I'm a widower, I'm a vet. I've got there, and I, I you know, I see that we're going to get into all that today. But yeah, I'm a writer, author. There's, I don't know what you want to know, but there's a lot. We want to know a little bit of everything. So, Brig, I'm so glad that you're on with us today. Thank you again for joining us today on the show. We have a two way debate. And then Brig is going to take us through his dad, widower, that all the kinds of things journey, his just journey um, in life. And then we're going to wrap up after that. So I'm going to pull up a chair, grab a snack, grab a juice box, and let's talk. Are you or your significant other, are one of you two always a thirsty one in the relationship? Not thirsty in that way, but I mean for an actual drink of water. Does one of you have an awful water intake and the other one has an average to above average water intake? Let me help you out. This Valentine's Day, help your bae get hydrated. Get them a coldest water water bottle from thecoldest.com. So many sizes, so many options, so many colors. They're all beautiful, amazing, long-lasting, sturdy, and they do an amazing job at keeping your water cold. My favorite right now that I'm using that I'm drinking out of during this podcast, the 46 ounce wood finish tumbler. Absolute piece of artwork of a water bottle. You can get yours now. Go to thecoldest.com, use the code ballboy10 at checkout, and get your own today. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to our live in studio audience. You guys are fantastic. We couldn't do this without you. All you guys do for us, week in, week out. Always there, reliable. All right, Brig, we're getting into a little two-way debate here. And your opinion's wrong, mine's right. Just kidding. Yeah. We'll see. Um, it's my show. Um, a gorilla <laughs> a gorilla would win in a fight with a bear. Every time. Yeah, I agree with that one, actually. I, agree. Yeah, I feel like Aaron would go... I don't know. So I feel like my brother Aaron, Aaron, he would go with bear just because every time I go hiking, he always says, make sure you take your gun in case you get attacked by a bear or something. But yeah. I think he has some bear trauma. He must. I he grew must. up in Utah, so I have some bear trauma as well. <laughs> yeah, he grew up in Southern California his whole life. So the only yeah. time he's seen either of those two animals is at the zoo. 
Right? <laughs> on the oh. Discovery Channel. Yeah. <laughs> Discovery Channel. Yes. All right. That's awesome. The second one here. This one's a little bit more debatable. Would you mm. give up a finger in exchange for a million dollars? Absolutely not. Not even no way. like. What's the price then? What's the price? To give up a finger. Let's say it's Ugh. your ring finger, because then you can still throw a baseball. Could still throw. Well, I. But I'm a writer. I I need my fingers to write. Oh, crap, that's true. Like, I'm the what same would way. I do with crap. even even without my pinky? I would be in huge trouble on a keyboard. See, I feel like you could get by without a ring finger. Maybe I'm looking at my keyboard now. I have my hand no, on my keyboard. You can get by lots without. of e. I could do e. Yeah, eyes and there's too many vowels where I need my ring finger. I don't doing, know. I I'm think doing my right ring finger. I think for, that the the price for me would have to be upwards of like fifty million dollars. I'm thinking fifty. I'm thinking fifty. A million. Yeah. That's too low. No, a toe. Not even close. What about a toe? Oh yeah, I'll give you a toe for a thousand dollars. I don't care. Or, no, a million dollars. I take a million dollars. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Value your body parts, break. Come on. Man, I got so many surgeries under my belt. What's one more? What's one more? And this one, yeah. you have one less thing to have surgery on. Yeah, I get paid too. So I get paid to wake up in pain every day as it is. So it's fine. Yeah. You're living the dream. All right. <laughs> this one, living forever would be terrible. No questions asked. That would be awful. Oh be so bad so i have a grandma she's like a, a great grandma she's like a hundred a hundred and one and she's like she's in good health still like she still wow. easily has like another maybe five years like she's healthy she acts she's active she lives in the nursing nursing home and all that and yeah great but i'm like thinking like i don't even want to live to like 75 like yeah, my I've already decided if I make it to 85, we're going to start having some pretty hard conversations. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just want to live long enough to see my grandkids. After that, that's it. We cool. I, I want to cool. live long enough for my grandkids to learn a thing or two and remember me that after that, I don't I'm out. I'm going to be everything's going to hurt so bad by the time I get 85 that I don't know. It's just not what I want. All right. Yeah, no, I just, I don't want to live that long. My um, great grandma, I have, then I have another grandma who raised me. She's like in her like early seventies. Even then I'm like, oh, pass. Like I just see like Tough. what she's going through and like how fragile the body is. And it's like, man. Oh. Yeah. No, and for me, if the mind goes first, that's even worse because oh. the mind is a fragile piece of business as well. Yeah. So, so my, if I get, if I get Alzheimer's or something, I'm going to have to put it in a, some kind of power of it's, attorney or it's durable. It's funny that you say that because, well, not funny. I No. Okay. I don't know the way to describe this without it sounding really <laughs> dark, but my great grandparents on my mom's side, both of them passed away in their like mid eighties from Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah. Just kind of ate away at them. My grandma, who's um, in her early seventies that raised me, the signs are there. It's early, yeah. but the thing is, is that she just broke her hip this oh. last winter, so her mobility's been limited. Yeah, and usually with that, it kind of like cycles things up. So it's, it's yep. just, that's why I'm just like, man, I just don't want to be that fragile. Just like put me down. Yeah. That's what like I'm an, saying. 
like a dog. Unless technology advances to the point where they can preserve things or recover things or whatever, then there's a there's a sci-fi series I enjoy called Columbus Day. It's Expeditionary Force. Book one is called Columbus Day. And there's a shiny beer can named Skippy in the uh, series. And if you could upload like my intelligence or something and put it in a shiny beer can that was sassy and would talk back to you, that would be worthwhile. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I would want to be uploaded. I would probably want to be like a, I would want to be a turtle. <laughs> turtle. <laughs> a turtle. Like a snapping turtle that's like sassy. So like I'd be like a sassy snapping turtle. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> like like get you in multiple ways. Cause I just I just love turtles. Um like I'm obsessed with turtles. There you go. It, I'm like looking at my my walls right here by my computer. I'm like, what would I want to be? Not a baseball logo, that's cliche. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, turtle. Duh. I have too many turtles on my walls. Well, if it was gonna be a baseball thing, maybe I would be a talking bullpen cart. Oh, I would be a bullpen cart for sure. Bringing people in from the bullpen. Yeah, <laughs> just talking to them, them on their way. Giving them a pep talk. <laughs> you got it, man. You can do this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to have our intelligence transferred into talking baseball bullpen carts. Yeah, and then right. bring back bullpen carts altogether. Got to do it. It's too yeah. far. It's too far to run. <laughs> so far. Um, all right. Your last question here, Brig. This is a rite of passage. So for us to even go on to you to talk about your journey here, um, okay. all guests have to answer the following question. The current standings are five to two to one. Brig, does pineapple belong on pizza? Ah, the question. This is the question. Okay. Uh, Stay, I have a standing policy that I don't yuck people's yum, right? Like if you that's if fair. you're into something and it's yours, that's fine. That's However, fine. in my domain where I live, pineapple one hundred percent absolutely does not belong on Whoa, pizza. Thank goodness. I All want right. my pizza to taste like pizza. Yes, <laughs> and I love pineapple, but the two sh- they should not be put together. So now we just got up to the listeners real quick. The six now consists of me, you, uh, Craig, who was on, Brad, um, Michael, and um, shoot, there was one more person. Oh, and Evan, who was on from Australia. So those are the six mm. that agree that it does not belong on pizza. The two that agree that it belongs on pizza are A.A. Ron, of course, and Eric the Peanuts guy's wife, Carissa. Don't ask, don't ask me how that one happened. We were interviewing Eric, and he couldn't make a decision. And so I'm like, is, is your wife there? He's like, oh, yeah, she's right here. I'm like, ask her, please. She, she, got, she got wrapped into it. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And then Eric's a tiebreaker at one. So I'm glad this experiment mm. we have going on is working. Um, so yeah, pineapple. That's like the ultimate question. It really is. It's a rite of passage. You passed. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and get right back into Briggs journey. Are you trying to cook that amazing meal for a loved one this Valentine's day? Someone special. You just want to impress them with an amazing dinner, perfectly seasoned, delicious, 
finger licking, chef's kiss kind of delicious. Well, let me help you out. Dano Seasoning, available at Kroger, Walmart, and on danoseasoning.com. If you want to save yourself some money and support your favorite podcast, use the code BALLBOY at checkout. You can do both those things. You can thank me later for that delicious meal that you're going to have this Valentine's Day. A nice, healthy round of applause from our live in-studio audience. Brig, I have so much respect for you as a person, as a friend, as a creator, as a dad. You have an, amer- an amazing story that you were here to share. Some context for the listeners and some of the connection that you and I share here um, at different levels, but around the same kind of ideal here. Um, Aaron's and I biological mother is, was um, an alcoholic and was in either of our lives for her choices when it came to substances. However, you have how many days now that you've been um, sober? I'm going to look right now. Hold on. Holding that thought. I um, should have been ready with that answer. I It's okay. It's okay. So, and I had a question. 458. 458. So, when does it go from days to months to years? Or is it always just days? So, programmatically, if you're a friend of Bill and you're in the Alcoholics Anonymous program, you don't ever go beyond day one. Every day is day one. Okay. Gotcha. That's the idea. No, I gotcha. Yeah. I remember when I was a teenager, I actually went to Alateen meetings. Yeah. For the kids who were, um, whose parents or caregivers or whatever were recovering addicts or um, alcoholics or going through and trying to make those changes for themselves. Um, And those meetings were incredible for myself as a teenager, just because I learned a lot and it helped me gain, start to gain closure on a situation that I, I just didn't understand. Yeah, that's wonderful. But Brig, you've lived a lot of life in not a ton of years. Um, you're a very, very young guy. Um, mm-hmm. Good looking. Easy on the ah, eyes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. So go ahead. Take it away. Share your story with us about being a dad, widower, vet, whatever you want to share. The time is yours. Okay. Wow. Um the first the first thing I need to say, and I haven't prepared any of this, but the first thing I need to say is this is the first time I've talked about it in any sort of open forum with any sort of kind of unfettered, uh, you know, vulnerability, I guess, disclosure um, mm-hmm. outside of a outside of a, uh, you know, an AA meeting or or best friend group or somebody I'm dating or a family member or things like that. So this is a pretty cool opportunity for me. And I'm, I'm really grateful to get to share. And part of that is because I'm really grateful that I'm in the position that I'm in emotionally and mentally and all of that. Uh, it's been, it's been a lot over, like you said, a short amount of time. So for me, so it all starts, I I have to acknowledge this because it's a big part of my story is that I come from a life of quite a bit of privilege, you know, given this, this culture that we're in right now about analyzing our past and, and being able to notice and take stock of where the system benefits us, um, inherently. Cause like, look, I'm a middle-aged white guy who grew up in super happy Valley bubble, Utah, you know, and 
with a Christian background and, and everything. And then I went on an all expenses paid vacation to a war zone with all my friends and we all wore the same outfit. So I get put in a lot of boxes right away that, uh, you know, may or may not fit who I actually am. But what's interesting is that I did, I did grow up with a, quite a bit of privilege. And, um, so I think that's important to acknowledge, but the funny thing about trauma is that it has the opportunity if we if we look at it this way to really bring people together and to unite us and it doesn't matter what kind of trauma it is um and i'm not talking about trauma bonds where we're all you know basing our connections on the negativity i want to base my connections on okay negativity occurred right the hardship has has happened we can acknowledge that but let's definitely. look at it from a progressive standpoint let's look at it where are we now and so that's that's where i'm grateful to be where i am um, and to be able to talk about it. So yeah, like I said, I, um, I think I should start, like I, I spent most of 2015 in Afghanistan. I was living the life of my dreams, man. I, I loved it. I loved my job. I loved being in the army. I loved, um, is that what everything you always I was wanted doing. to do? Like growing up, going to the army, going to the active, active yeah. duty service. Yeah. I wanted to be in the military since I was like six, right? The minute I saw somebody in uniform, I went, boom, that's for me. Sounds I don't know crazy. why. I don't know what happened. By the time I joined the military, everybody was like, wow, it's about time. Um, Did you go right out of high school or? No, no. I got caught oh. up in money and girls and cool cars and all the stuff that you do. You're right. I got it. I went and did summer sales and I served a mission, a religious uh, mission for my church. And I did all that stuff too. Um, but yeah, you fast forward to Afghanistan. I married. I'm doing a I'm doing a crazy hard job in Afghanistan, loving most of it, and all of a sudden I get numb and tingling in my legs, and I'm like, "What is going on?" So I ignore it. You know, the mission comes first, and there's a lot yeah. going on, and it's very busy. And I, I say, mean, you're in "Whatever." Afghanistan, you know, you kind of just yeah. there's bigger things at play. Yeah, you know, this weird sensation I have that doesn't make any sense. So I just plowed through it. And my friends looked at me and they're like, dude, you're limping. What's going on? I said, I don't just leave me alone. I, we don't, I don't have time to worry about it. And they're like, no, 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 no. So they forced me to cop out, cop up and talk about it. And they sent me to physical therapy and I did that. Got better for a little while and back and forth and back and forth to doctors. And, uh, all of a sudden, and I kept working through it. You know, sometimes the days were 12, 15 hour days, you know, sometimes more. And we would just, we're getting four or five hours of sleep while we wake up and do it all over again. It was crazy, but, uh, eventually the, I, I, the doctors were like, all right, you got nerve damage going on and it's coming from your lumbar and we don't know what it is. We, we don't have the facilities or the resources here in, you know, Southern Afghanistan to help you out. So you got to get on an airplane and you're either going to go to Kuwait. Well, they told me you're going to go to Kuwait to get a, to get an MRI or some kind of scan. I said, okay. So they put me on an airplane and I was medically evacuated out of Afghanistan. And instead of waking up in Kuwait, when they pulled the door at the back door of the, of the C-17 down, I ended up in the Bavarian hillside in Germany. Somehow I got on a plane. To, or... I don't know. I just, I was expecting <laughs> more desert and more bone colored landscape. And I end up in October in Bavaria and it's it was one of the most like 
it was one of the most moving moments of my whole life. They wheel me out in a wheelchair down the ramp of this of this military uh, aircraft. And just a few hours ago, I was in a war zone, and I come and I find myself staring at this beautiful fall foliage in all these trees and this bronzes and these reds and these oranges. And I just cried. I was like, holy crap. Because I had had my head down so hard, you know, on the mission and doing what we were doing. It was crazy. So they put me in an, uh, an MRI machine and the send me to a doctor. And the doctor says, he's clickety clacking on his keyboard. And he says, hey, uh, he looks at me, he says, you're done. It's like, What? He says, yeah, you're done. You'll never be a soldier again. And I was like, what? Huh? I'm like 26, right? I, 26 and a half. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So he was a colonel and I was a staff sergeant at the time. And I told, I said, look, man, and I won't use the language I used with him here because of the <laughs> nature of the show, but I was not very happy. And I told I him imagine. to pound sand. Yeah. I said, look, man, you might tell people their career ends every day, but I don't hear it every day. All right. So why don't you slow down? And talk to me like a human being and tell me what's going on. And he said, nobody's talked to you yet. I'm like, no, man, I was in Afghanistan 72 hours ago or less. And I came here, got an MRI, went to bed, woke up, and now I'm in front of you. So what the freak is happening? So he told me, he turned around the imagery and showed me how messed up my lower back was. And fast forward a little while, um, that was October 2015. By March 2016, I'd have a, a lumbar fusion from L3 all the way down. So I'm my back is one solid piece from L3 to L4 to L5 to S1. My L5 vertebrae was sliding around and you know when you're 26 and they tell you that you might be paralyzed if you're not, you know, if you step yeah. wrong. I thought, "Wow, they said you can either get rods and screws in your back or you can end up in a colostomy bag." And I that was a pretty easy decision to make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So you you don't want to hear the the p word. We call it the p word here. You don't want to hear paralysis. So at that young. So anyway, that effectively ended my career. Um, and I spent a little bit more time getting my ducks in a row and processing out of the military. And he was right; I would never do it again. Um, and that was rough because, like you said, that's all I ever wanted to do. That's I was going full career. I was planning on even thirty years, not just like twenty that, years. Like that was it. Years. That was the game plan. That was the plan, man. I had no other plan. So then I had to pull myself up. I had to learn how to walk again. I had to learn how to, my core muscles, they literally tore them in half to get to the back. So I have to, I, I mean, I remember I fell a couple of times and it was just trying to get to the bathroom and it was awful. So I, I'm recovering and I'm, and my wife, while I'm doing my recovery and I'm in physical therapy for hours and hours every week. My wife got pregnant and don't ask me how that happened because Afghanistan and marital intimacy don't mix in case you didn't yeah. know. So, <laughs> so yeah. I got home and I was like, I don't care how bad it hurts. Like, you know, I need, I need this. And so we, it's been a while. she it's been was a minute, very honey. kind. She was very kind. Was we ended up getting pregnant. <laughs> so that, I'm recovering happen. from my back surgery. She's trying to deal with the pregnancy thing. Oh and, man. Uh, I'm sitting there in my, you know, in my lazy boy and I'm watching her struggle and I'm trying to help as much as I can and I'm getting better as quickly as I can. And because I had a, the opportunity to sit in my chair and observe, I, I, I got to see things in a whole different way. 
because I, I couldn't be busy and frittering around and, and hustling and you know all that stuff, but I wanted to. And so I'm sitting in my chair and I ended up journaling about everything I was watching, all the funny stuff, all the sad stuff, all the crazy stuff. And she's helping me walk as she's getting, you know, less and less capable of walking. I'm getting more and more capable of walking. We're doing this seesaw thing and it's, it was kind of beautiful and it's this poetic thing, but I ended up taking those journal entries and realizing like, this is really funny. This thing that's happening is, is humorous. And this pregnancy thing is, is nuts. Why do people do this? And how can you help your spouse? And, you know, my, our theory at the time was we don't want to, we, we don't want to let people know that we're pregnant before about 13 weeks. Cause you know, people miscarry. And if that happens, yeah. then, you know, the trauma so, gets all shared. So we, we decided it's a whole thing. And, and I, I hate that for anybody that has to go through that. It's just awful. And it's, we've seen it with people very, very close to us. So I go looking online for how do I help my wife through this pregnancy thing? And all of the information I come, come across is whiny. It's full of victim mentality. And it's all these people. Yeah. Who are asking questions like nobody cares about how come nobody cares about me, man. This isn't yeah. easy on me either. Yeah. And I'm like, her body's literally trying to kill her <laughs> while this thing is happening, dude. So I decided that that's when I decided I would take my journal entries and I would put it into a book. And I ended up writing a book called Sidekick. Um, it's a pregnancy field guide for dudes. It's a, the, the first ever pocket pregnancy guide for men. It's 142 pages. It, fit, it literally slides right into your back pocket. And uh, it's got pictures and bullet points. So It's just, you know, we don't have time to read what to expect when you're expecting. We want to know, how do I paint those toenails? Exactly. You know what I mean? How do I rub those feet to make her feel better? What is ginger ale really working? I 100% get what you mean because, like, when I went through with my ex-wife, there's nothing out there for dudes. There's nothing out there for dudes except for, like you said, the whiny, what about me? Why, when, when, yeah. what was me? Like, you got yourself into this, buddy. Right. It's not your body that's carrying a child. It's not you. You don't have to push out that thing. You have to go through all these hormones, changes, your body changing, your rib cage yep. literally moving, your bladder literally being pressed on. Like, you don't have to go through all that, man. And there's literally right. nothing out there. So, great resource, great idea. And Thank you. I'm sure it was just crazy, just having to do that you know sitting there like i can't do anything i put us in the situation but right i i can't i can't so that must have yeah. a, just made you feel awful like totally additional mental toll on top of everything else right yeah and i got to find ways to help and then so what I realized was that as I got talking to other dads and, you know, we announced the pregnancy and started opening up about it, everybody seemed to agree on one thing. There was one thing everybody agreed on. And that was, as soon as you become a dad, you kind of put the superhero cape on, right? Like you're, you're super dad now until further notice, until you screw it up or, or until they become a teenager and they don't care about you anymore. But one way or the other, for a really pretty significant amount of your life, once you become a dad, if you if you if you care, you're it, man. You're like hero, dude. So true. in the kid's true. eyes, anyway. So Very that's true. when I came up with the idea of being a sidekick. I was like, let's give this woman nine months of support. And how do we do that? So I went and I studied all the best sidekicks. 
I was like, what does Chewie do for Han Solo? What is her, what do Hermione and, and Ron do for Harry Potter? What, you know, like what does Samwise do for Frodo? And I just analyzed all this characteristics and all these comic book characters and fantasy characters and every, everything, everybody's a sidekick. And I came up with this list and it's, it's all in the book, but the point is you're it once you become a dad. So let her be it when she's going through the pregnancy, like just you're the support guy, get over it. Very true. Do like, it nobly. And especially like after that, as soon as the baby stage is done, you know, you get through that like infancy, but as soon as they start realizing that you're the one playing with them, having fun with them as a dad, and you're the one involved playing with them, playing games, messing with them, making them laugh, you know, you're yeah. the fun one. You're the one that's teaching them and fun. It goes from, eh, you were cool while you were feeding me. <laughs> but as soon as they don't just need mom to feed them, especially if you're an totally involved different. dad, it's going to happen quick. And then it's like, you're it. You are what yeah. they want. And involved is the key. It really is the key. Um, Very true. So, yeah. I, I could jump off from here in any number of ways, but do you have any questions? Oh, uh, let's see. From let's go here. Um, before you keep going, kind of on your journey here, for any other vets, specifically for vets um, who might be struggling mentally for one reason or another, or went through like kind of anything that you went through. Um, what are you saying to them? What kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing I would say to veterans is it's okay to ask for help. We get taught that it's not. It's kind of a big deal in the culture and the military. But like if it's different when you're in, let's because I'm kind of of the old guard. Like when you're in and you, you're worried about your security clearance, you're worried about reputation and all that stuff. They're really trying to turn over a new leaf and make it okay to ask for help when you're in the military. And I, I advocate that wholeheartedly. However, to those of you who are out of the military, now's the time. You Now you, there's no excuse. If something is bugging you, if something you can't get over, if you've got anger issues or a drinking problem or whatever, we all have it, then go talk to somebody. Seriously. It's going to help you. It's going to help your kids. It's going to help your spouse if you have one. It's going to help everybody you interact with. You'll become more reliable. You'll become more tolerant of everything around you. Just, just go get, just go talk to somebody. Even if you don't think you need to, it's super worthwhile just to check. It's like an oil check now for me. I'm like, I just check in. How am I doing? What, what's going on? It's just part of my maintenance plan. So just, it's okay. And if it ended early for you, like it did for me, then, you know, there's probably some stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's move. Let's move here. Go ahead and take us through your, your marriage and kind of post-pregnancy, your daughter's born daughter. Yes. Daughter. daughter. Yeah. Olivia. Yes. Yeah. Um, I knew that. I don't know why I questioned myself like three times. There. It's okay. That's okay. Uh, take us kind of through your journey of your your marriage and kind of how that'll happen and just everything kind of from there. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, let me just, I'll limit it to one of the highlights. We went on a three month cross country road trip 
because we didn't know where we wanted to live. We just didn't feel right about living where we were, right? I'd retired from the military and I had just finished up my degree. Well, part of the, what I did during my recovery was go back to school. So I finished up my bachelor's. I got through the retirement process in the military and the VA stuff. And then we just woke up one day and said, I don't know why, but this is not where we want to live. So let's, let's go find it. So we put the kid in the car. She was a year old. We packed one week's worth of clothes and some camera equipment and we left. We put everything else in storage. And for about three months, we just drove around the country. We had a short list of cities we wanted to visit that we'd heard about or thought we'd been there before or whatever. And we figured we wanted certain climate. So we took a a ruler on the map and we just said, okay, Phoenix East and Dixie, sort of Dixie South is going to work for us climate wise. And then we had a, I, you know, we, we agreed. We said, all right, take a week and make a list on your own of all the social amenities that you want, all the climate preferences, all the cultural elements, all the, you know, whatever, like what, what is perfect or as close to perfect look like. And let's see where we can match these up. So she did her list. I did mine. We put them together. We made a master list and cut things. Like I wanted French speakers. I was a French linguist in the military and I wanted this, that, and I want a good baseball. It's got to be good local baseball around the corner, like that around the corner. Literally, that is literally the requirement. Anywhere I move next, yeah, got to have either – I got to have minor league baseball. For some reason, I the last like year or so, I've just – I've been involved in the minor league baseball community, and it's been incredible. It's the – minor league baseball is the best, man. I love it so much. Like major league baseball is great. Don't get me wrong. And every week on the Baseball Together podcast, we talk Major League Baseball because it's awesome. But there's nothing like a minor league baseball game. Anyway, so that was part of our stipulation that, you know, I insisted that wherever we moved would have good local baseball. So we did. We took three months and we visited all kinds of places and saw all kinds of things and had lots of conversations with people. And, um, you know, this place felt sad, whatever, you know, X, Y, Z reason or or this place. We talked to all the business owners and they didn't. They said it was really hard to own a business there because we have entrepreneurial mindset. We talked to this place and there's never a swim team for the kids or whatever, like all this stuff. Um, lots of trees was another big one for us. It's just what we decided. Anyway, I love that. We ended I love that. Up, yeah. We ended up in Greenville, South Carolina. We're in the upstate and it is great. It's great. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of stuff that's not so good, just like everywhere else, but more more good than bad. And, uh, it just, for whatever reason, we were in this town for about five hours and it started to feel right. And we moved here kind of on a whim. We, we drove back, we canceled the rest of our trip. We drove back to Utah. We picked up all our stuff. And at about little, about 10 days or so, we were in an apartment here and starting to spread our wings a little bit and get to know people. Obviously there's a million cool stories in there, but that's the, the broad stroke of, of that period of our lives. And so we were, we moved here. That was, let's see, that was 2017, late 2017. And then in 2018, I think it was March, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. We found out that she had Hodgkin's lymphoma and we're in a new town with a bunch of people that we're starting to get to know, but only starting to get to know them. And we, now have this enormous task in front of us of what are we going to do? How are we going to 
defeat cancer. And we're going to do it with a baby who's just turned two. So it was pretty that's, interesting. That's so many factors like newborn, new, or, you know, just entering the toddlers, new city, new life, new everything. That's right. unimagined. That's the last thing you want to hear. And for our listeners, you guys might have seen um, the Chicago White Sox pitcher, Liam Hendricks, um, was also recently diagnosed with this same form of cancer as well. So if you're in social media, you might have seen a lot of support from that throughout Twitter, baseball universe, uh, cancer universe of just someone that's a recognizable name with the same type of cancer that um, Briggs' wife had. Yeah, it's very true. So yeah, we uh, and what was odd was that somehow, and uh, you know, you can attribute this to whatever universal factors you want or metaphysical factors, but we still felt right about being here. We left all our family behind, all our support network behind, and we sat and talked about it. We're like, hey, do, do we need to move back to Utah to deal with this? Do we need? And we got a lot of pressure from our family, obviously, because they wanted to be there to support us, and they of came course, out of course, here it was to positive us, pressure, phenomenal. It and was our the community, kind of you want. it is, yeah. And the community that we had here ended up rallying behind us. And, you know, we had babysitters every day for years if we needed it. And yeah, it was unreal. Yeah. Unreal. A lot of that had to do with church community. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. So anyway, so long story short, we battled cancer for three years. And in that time, I was working contract work, uh, doing business intelligence collection. And uh, that was interesting. And I was out of work. I had no contracts for about eight months. So I was, my wife had cancer that we were dealing with. Um, my baby was two at the time. I hadn't had a contract in eight out of 12 months for work. And then uh, we decided to start a business. <laughs> <laughs> we're like at for whatever reason Perfect. at that time that was a, we're like yeah what? what's one more why thing not? why not <laughs> you know just yeah. go for it you know man we might i i feel like i have some masochistic tendencies somewhere that are unresolved and that's okay um you'll get through with your so therapist we, maybe bring that that's up right. next week we'll check on it yeah we'll check in we'll check in on that one all right, so this is when the business, is this nine plus us or? Yeah, okay. this is just when all the baseball together stuff started happening. So we, we launched a t-shirt business and a podcast associated uh, that I do still do with Brad every week. And man, what a fun, it ended up being a fun distraction that we did not know we needed. It ended up being this grease Absolutely. on the skids. That, that became, you know, something else to focus on, something more, something bigger than us. We mm -hmm. built a community very, very quickly uh, on the 9 Plus Us VIP group on Facebook. If you want to go jump in there and join us, you're more than welcome to. It's fantastic. It's a great community. You don't have to be a baseball person or know a ton about baseball or anything. It's just a solid community of people overall. Yeah. Like, I've made, just between the 9 Plus Us community and Baseball Together podcast, like, I made all these friends. You know, yeah. you, Brig, yeah. Brad everyone in our group chat and our fantasy baseball league. It's, it's turned into something amazing, even for myself, you know, being able to call you it's and cool. Brad friends. So it's, yeah. it's definitely a great community to be a part of. Anyways, go ahead. Continue. No, it's, that's what we want to hear, man. That's what it's all about. So, and it's been the same for us. 
you know, we have connections all over the country now that, that for me, it's great that they're not just army connections, right? There's just regular other people that right now I have a baseball people. network. I have regular, a baseball network. People. Yeah. And I it's think that's awesome, the man. things it's... about baseball is because it's, I mean, you have 30 MLB teams, but then you have 120 yeah. minor league teams. Yeah. And then from there you have all these collegiate wood bat teams. And then from there you have all these college baseball teams. And then yeah. it just trickles down into every community, no matter what. That's like the best thing about baseball is that it just trickles down. That's why I love minor league baseball, because if you're in a place with minor league baseball, you know, you can make it. There's people who are there who care about it, who are just good people. You know, I, I've never I met some obviously some bad fans and some awful people sure. at baseball games, but rarely at a minor league baseball game do you find those people very yep. very very rarely yep i agree and even then you can go talk to them and you find out oh actually you're not that bad of a guy you're just annoying yeah you're just annoying <laughs> that's exactly right and just i was that bad, guy for years you're just a totally. bad fan yeah i was i was i promise you i was so annoying i yeah we used to sit so one of my favorite minor league baseball stories is that Orem used to host the Owls. They were the, the rookie Orem league Owls. club. Yeah, yeah, for the Angels organization. Now they're collegiate, I think, or they're independent. No, they they're independent. They or maybe they're in the Pioneer League. They moved to somewhere in Colorado. Yes, yep, it's it's Pioneer. That's it. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. um, we used to sit in Section Eight, and in the Army, Section Eight means you're cuckoo for cocoa puffs, right? It means yes. you're nuts. <laughs> so we used to sit in Section Eight with all our friends and just heckle the umpires and the other teams just ruthlessly. And everybody knew that we were section eight and we had these, this group of us season ticket holders and it was fun. Yeah, no, there's, there's a few here locally at the Tri-City Dust Devils, high A affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels. Um, Yeah. There's this one guy at every, you know, few home games every week. And I think he's like a Dust Devils fan even, but he's always like, let's say it was last year. It was Kyle Caster when Kyle Caster came up to bat. Um, infield prospect, decent player. Um, probably never going to make it to the MLB, but a sure. career minor leaguer. But still, he would go, Come on, Kyle. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Kyle. And just like the most annoying. And I'm like, just, Why? And he would do it for every yeah. single player except for those with ethnic names because I don't think it, he didn't work for those players. So anyone with a white name, like Gabe, Gabe or Gabe, Kyle, yeah. Kevin, yeah. any of those. Brandon, you know, yeah. Yeah, traditional <laughs> Caucasian names, he would do it, but he never did it for like Jose or an Enrique or anyone like that when they were up to bat. And I don't know if anyone noticed. I talked to Eric about it and he's like, you know what? He does do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. It was just, I don't know why I noticed it. Oh, I noticed it because he's freaking loud and he sits like one section over from where I have my media. That's pass the way. Gets. Right. That's the way. And Always. Like, yeah. He's a really nice a guy. Though. Really nice guy. Oh, I'm sure. See, yeah, once you get to talk to him. See, that's the cool thing. That's why we started baseball together. Then we call it baseball together because baseball is better together. It's 100%. You can go to a baseball game by yourself, and I guarantee you if you open it yourself up to the opportunity, you will make a friend at the ballpark. 100%. Somebody wants to talk to you. 100%. You know, I've made – I've gone to game plenty of games by myself on the weeks I don't have the girls with my yep. media pass because I can, and I, I do for – obviously media purposes but sure. i'll sit next to just 
random people. I'll get random tickets in my section. So I always sit in like 106, 107 at Giza Stadium here. Yeah. That's like where my media pass tickets normally are. And I'm like, nah, I don't care what's just put me in a row somewhere. Um, when I have the girls, I ask for the top row. Right. Or I'm like, under the shade. A row where no one else is sitting. Yeah. Um, so they can run a little bit. But when I don't, I'm like, yeah, probably sure. wherever. So I've met just, I remember these two sweet old ladies. They had a scorebook. I just talked to them like the whole game. And they were like, wow, we are so impressed with like your knowledge and just like you taught us some things and the conversation was fun. Yeah. And I've just, I've made, just met so many cool people and so many cool people that have traveled to the ballpark on games that I'm going to that are also, yep. you know, out in the minor league baseball community, just like big bloggers or other create co- baseball and minor league baseball creators and whatnot, you know, just being able to like sit and just talk to them and be like, man, this is really fun to watch this Blue Jays prospect, you know, Ricky Tiedemann, um, who's been yeah. in camp with the Blue Jays. And it's like, now I, and that's another fun thing about minor league baseball is you get to see these guys progress, especially when you're at high A. Yeah. You oh, see, yeah. You see these certain guys, you just like, okay, I know you might not be in my organization, that I'm cheering for, that I care about, but I can tell that you have a future in in baseball. And you can kind of tell who it's doesn't, true. but it just makes it fun because you know they're they're living their dreams, and you get to be there to support them. Dude, I've had I had a lady come out to me. Uh, she she was like, "I'm gay." I was like, "No, you're drunk, but I support you." <laughs> like, <laughs> she decided that for she was a firefighter. And she turned around in her seat and decided I was the one that she was going to gab at the whole game, which was fine with me. I don't care. And I haven't, I don't think I've sat through and been able to watch a full baseball game in like years. For whatever reason, I always end up somebody chatting me up and I probably start it and don't realize it, but oh, she yeah. did. She wheeled around in her chair and she was totally smashed and she was with all her other firefighter buddies. Of course. She was the only woman there. And she decided that I was the one she was. She's like, I've never told anybody this, but I'm super gay. And I was <laughs> like, congratulations. That's wonderful. I, how did you choose me? She's I like, love I don't that. know, man. <laughs> it's I, great. Love that. I have experiences like that all the time. You have that face. You have that face. Oh, thanks, man. You have that face. You know? it's, just, it's just fun. I don't know. So you just get There's to just, know people it's and just, talk. It's and... just better. Like minor league baseball, that's just where it's better than major league baseball because like, everyone's kind of at a baseball game and, you know, kind of with the people they're with. And it's hard to sometimes, you know, interact. I would say it was, be. it was absolutely beautiful because I was at the game this last year. Now we're talking about baseball. We'll get back on topic in a second, but okay. um, <laughs> I was at the game where the Mariners clinched the playoff. Yeah, you were there. It was the awesome. Team. I was there. I saw the home run. And one thing I did after, as everyone's going nuts, everyone's hugging each other. Everyone's high-fiving everyone. It's an amazing moment. One thing I did, I ended up calling Brad. Yeah. Like just video messaging him. I'm pretty sure he mentioned this on baseball together back then. He did. But yeah. I, he did. I called him just so that he could hear it and feel like he was there. That's awesome. Um, and it was super fun. He See, was, that's the togetherness, man. Exactly. Like you're in this moment and you think to yourself, oh man, who else? I want to share this. And you, I want to share yeah, it. Yeah, you want to share it. That's exactly right. Exactly. See, and that's the beauty of baseball. Yes. Well, that's one of them. There's exactly. A you're right. We could talk about this forever. <laughs> we could. All right. Back on topic. So your wife is diagnosed with cancer and then um, nine plus us. Then what happens? And then COVID hit. COVID hit. And uh, when I needed to 
This is the one time baseball failed me my whole life. When I needed baseball more than anything in the world, it was not available to me. And that was rough. And I would go, if I, if, if I ever had a moment to myself and I was just, I would go sit at the ballpark at the gate that was locked and just wish that I could watch a game. And so, so that was really hard for, for a lot of reasons. Um, I ended up pick, getting a different job. Tiff, her cancer came around and we thought everything was going to be okay. So I got a job doing something else. I was working with veterans at a nonprofit trying to support um, their employment efforts, post-service employment efforts. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of veterans have a hard time getting jobs after they get out of the military, which is crazy so, to me because right. ever, like I worked at Lowe's um, for a year and a half when I moved here to the tri cities and it was like, we had so many veterans working in the store and yeah. it's like, oh, loads of higher veterans. And then I found out, oh, those only advertise this and pushes it because it's a tax break. That's the only yeah, benefit that's a big to deal. the store. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, why don't more people, why don't more businesses do it, you know? Because that's a big yeah. thing to a lot of big businesses. So It, it is. And so I, my job was to actually target corporate America um, and incentivize and, and inspire them to recruit and push campaigns to recruit veterans. So that was really cool. Um, I also was in charge of, you know, kind of unifying the community. So if there were other nonprofits or other organizations like Goodwill, for instance, we would partner with them and run job fairs and different training events and certification opportunities. And then I would do job coaching on the side where uh, I would, you know, was doing casework or I was helping veterans walk through each phase of their journey to get a job. And that it was a big job and it was, it was tough. I did that for about a year before my wife's cancer took, took a turn. Things got really ugly. She did a big stem cell transplant, harvest and transplant. And then, um, things, things went sideways fast. So, and ultimately she, she succumb, I guess is the right word. I don't want to say she lost the battle. I hate that phrase, but she, uh, she got to the point where she passed away. And it was really, obviously, very challenging for everybody. My daughter was three at the time. so She doesn't really understand a lot of it at that point. She just knows mommy's sick and doesn't have any hair. And that's kind of different and all this stuff. Some things, I mean, some things, you know, the silver lining in some of these situations, like um, separations, divorce, even, you know, death and loss is that it's it's easier when they're younger yeah almost on the kid because they just no i totally agree they just they don't get it at the same level magnitude you know like when we put our our golden retriever down like my daughter was four because it's been a year now so she was four and that was her dog like her whole life that she grew up with and yes jesse um she grew up with and so she was there in the room just wee hours of the like late night like the dog had had multiple seizures and um that sucks you know i had rushed her to the er i drove like 15 over on the freeway bless i think it pulled over at like 10 30 at night and whatnot and the kids were actually at their mom's when it all happened and so i had to call their mom i'm like hey you know i after that i I think it's time kind of, we had started having these discussions, you know, 
in in advance kind of like what would happen and whatnot and um so then she was there when it all happened and it was just she was crying but now it's like different so yeah she didn't understand it as much so that's almost it it's a silver lining it's a it's a sad silver lining but it's that's a yeah there's no good scenario because yeah there's it's easier to process later no it's no great but it's nothing great about it a helpful silver lining because they don't remember all those emotions and then when they actually start to ask those questions later in life i'm sure now and later they're going to understand and those emotions aren't going to be as hard to process as if they were older and kind of things you know yeah no and the problem for for me is my kid's way too smart like she's wicked smart and so i ended up for months after her mom died I I just I sat her down and explained everything uh, as best I could to a three year old, and you know I thought long and hard about how I would approach that conversation with her. But I I just leveled with her, and I decided that if we were going to do this together from now on, then we were going to do it together. And I did, I've done everything I can to to be gentle and and make it age appropriate. But I also don't hide things from my daughter. She doesn't deserve that. Absolutely. And she's way too smart to, you know, to notice that like mom's never around anymore. Yeah. She was gonna pick that up. Duh. Yeah, she was gonna get it. She was gonna get it. And girls especially, they're they're smart. They're smart. Really young. Yeah. They they're smart. Especially my like my two year old who's two and three months, you know, she's already potty trained. She's been potty trained for months mm. before she yeah. was even two officially. She can count to twenty with you helping her. <laughs> Like, yeah, girls are just, they're just smart. They're just smart. Yeah. And she asked me for months, like every day on the way to school for months, when's mommy coming back? Where's mommy? What's going on? And boy, that was just like knife, knife wounds every day. And it was so, okay, to let's move to your, to the topic. I think that we want to spend the most time on. I, I think, I don't know. You tell me, but no, nah, we're good. Whatever, I started, however it goes. I started drinking as pain management and partly because I'm allergic to weed <laughs> for whatever reason. I'm in that one half percentile my, or whatever. That, my mentor from work, she's in the exact same boat as you are. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. So weed doesn't work for me and I'm terrified of opiates. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. And I read a, I read a great book. Before I had my spinal fusion, I read a book called, um, oh, how come it just left me? Dreamland. It's called Dreamland by a guy named Sam Quinones. And Sam was a crime journalist for, he started in Stockton, California, for those of you that know what that is. He was a crime journalist, and he he brought this 20-year history of the opioid pandemic, you know, problem that we have in the United States and he brought it all together in one book called Dreamland and he started going from like you know coal miners and rail workers and soccer moms and he brought it all together and he talked about the cartels bringing it up and making black tar heroin more available on street corners and in supermarket parking lots and I thought oh my what this is terrible because I knew they were going to try and pump me full of prescription painkillers so I read that book and I decided that that book was going to scare me. And boy, did I get my money's worth because that book just terrified me. So if at all possible, I decided I would avoid opiates. Most I'm allergic definitely. to weed. Plus it was illegal. Opiates. I was are, like, what crazy business? Like, yeah, 
Yeah, it, it'll just mess you up, man. Like, if you have to take it, you go ahead. Like, I'm not going to yuck yeah. your yum in, like, medical sense. Like, yeah. go ahead. If it's prescribed, take it. But I would sit there and suffer probably longer than I needed to after my spinal fusion and just because I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I probably disrupted my recovery time in some ways because I wasn't ever at ease. I was never relaxed. Um, but anyway, so I, so I turned to alcohol, which was a big no-no in my culture as a huge no-no yeah. in my family. No, no, I was there. Like, I was, I was also raised in the same, same faith as you were presumably. No, I didn't know um, that. LDS. Yeah. I was also raised LDS for, uh, most of my yeah. life. I didn't serve a mission or anything, but, um, I went to my first couple years of college at BYU, Idaho. Oh, I didn't know that. I met my ex wife. Yeah. So I got BYU and I dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, well, so does she, but, um, yeah, for sure. Fun fact about me and her is that we had met one semester prior to us like dating and we had met, we had known each other. We were both engaged to other people. We come back Whoa. from winter. We come back from winter break. We're both not engaged. I go to um, I'm a fitness class coordinator, so I'm coordinating all the fitness classes and whatnot. She's a yoga instructor, and then uh, me and my buddy had just gone down to Kiwi Loco, keep frozen yogurt. Um, yeah, and we had just gone down there, and I was actually trying to hit on her roommate, <laughs> one of her roommates, and then. She had texted me later that night about like her class and whatnot. You know, this is how many people I had in my class. And then we just started talking and I'm like, then just one thing led to another. And then we were married a few months later. Um, crazy yeah, how things how work goes. in that, in that, in the culture. Um, yeah. That, that environment will get you. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, it was wild, but yeah. So no, I, I definitely see where you're coming from there and understand it. So, and for listeners, yeah. for, don't know, you know, within the, the, uh, LDS religion, whatnot, anything, alcohol, tobacco, alcoholic, weed, opioids, everything medically, unless it's prescribed by a doctor is a big, no, no, big, big, no, no. And, um, yeah. Anyways. So I had, I had experience with alcohol before I was in so much pain. I thought I was going to die. Um, and so it was easy for me to choose that. It wasn't like the first time I had jumped into it or anything. So I think that's worth noting. It was uh it was a big decision though, because I had been sober for years until then. And it wasn't I shouldn't say I was sober. Like I was sober, but I never went through a period where I was like, I'm not drinking anymore. I just stopped drinking. It just wasn't a thing anymore. And then uh when I had my back surgery and then it was, I was in pain constantly. And then, you know, we went through all this stress and my wife cancer and then she, and then she died. Like, damn, I was drinking, you know what I mean? I was really drinking and my work was super stressful on me and I'm trying to suddenly I'm a solo dad and I'm raising a three-year-old girl and I don't have a clue. I've got the PTSD stuff, all the mental health stuff still that I didn't know was unresolved for my military time. I'm in pain all day, every day for the most part. And I've decided I'm going to box. <laughs> I'm going to get into boxing. And my doctors are looking at me like I'm crazy. And my friends are like, I don't know what you're thinking, but you, you, you're right. You need something. I was like, I just need something. So I got into boxing okay. and I found ways to do it that it didn't hurt my back. 
which okay. was amazing. It was such a liberating moment. Yeah, um, that's that's ironic because after my um, divorce and whatnot, and I, you know, you always need an outlet when you go through something traumatic or anything like that. And then I had found this kickboxing gym. And I was like, this, oh, this yeah. is amazing. I'd already lost like 60 pounds, but just from like depression and whatnot. It was like totally. the most unhealthy weight loss like one can go through. Um, yeah. You know, and so it, I turned to kickboxing. So. Yeah, man. It's awesome. And I got to be, me and my coach are like best of friends. Uh, we, cause we spend, you know, between 60 and 90 minutes a day with each other three times a week, just mm-hmm. the two of us. Cause I wanted one-on-one coaching and I wanted to learn and I wanted to get in the ring and I wanted to go to work with black eyes. And I remember one time I went to him and I said, Hey man, I was having a really bad day. I said, dude, I don't, I know I'm not ready and I don't care. I want to go live. I want you to beat the crap out of me. And I said, and and he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, I want my insides to match my outsides. Okay. I want my, my external world needs to come into alignment with what's going on inside because this inauthentic gap is too big. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. It, it was just too much disparity between how I was feeling inside and what the rest of my life and seemed to look like that, on the outside. So you were kickboxing, you were boxing as you were getting sober or were you still? Oh, yeah, drunk as a skunk. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I went to, I went to the gym tipsy a couple of times. Haven't we all? It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. No, no, okay. okay. I actually, Yeah. It was, it was good. So, and he, the, what a wonderful guy. He handled me perfectly. He, he let me have it a little bit cause that's what I wanted, but he gave me exactly what I needed. He pulled back when he needed to pull back and look on it back on it. Now I, I see it for what it was, but you know, if I think had I not been with Vince in that one situation, that one day, anybody else would have given me exactly what I asked for. And I don't know what would have happened to me. I have no idea because I'm a, I mean, I got to be honest with myself. Like I have some fragility in my body that I've still yet to come to terms with. And he, he handled it like lovingly is the only, I mean, I don't know how you put that in terms of boxing gym, but that's what it was. And the guy was, he was really there for me. It was, it was amazing. So fast forward, let's jump to the, to the good part. I uh, skip to the good part. Yeah, Exactly. I get I get to the point where I'm realizing that that things are a little bit out of control and they're bad and I didn't want to be dad anymore. And that's when I knew I, I went through a relationship. The relationship failed. Uh, I thought, you know, God had brought us together and I thought that this was the, the one. And um, after all I'd been through, I told myself that there was this light at the end of the tunnel. And I learned later that often very often, not every time, but very often the first relationship you're in after a spouse dies is usually the wrong one. Um, I didn't know that at the time, but that's quite often the case. So for any of you listening, if that's you or somebody else, like just, just be real aware, go slow. Um, and I tried to go slow, but I just, all I knew was how to be a husband and I wanted that really bad. Um, and I'd found somebody I thought I could be that for, and I, I let most of my needs and, and wants go unchecked and, and, and unattended. And, um, so I pulled my head out and started asking some pretty intense questions and, and got to some pretty intense answers. And 
it ultimately ended the relationship and it was the best thing for her and for me honestly because i think we would ultimately come to those conclusions in a difficult way later uh with far greater consequences um and and at the end of the day i still remember it 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 was still a beautiful experience right because that person interrupted a lot of what could have been very negative trajectory for me but it spun me out failing i felt like a failure felt like i failed to save my wife, I felt like I failed in this new relationship. I was failing as a dad. I think I felt like I was failing at work, even though they kept telling me I was doing great. I, I didn't feel that way. Um, so I had all these self-limiting beliefs. And now I have all the language for it because I went to rehab. <laughs> and it was a tremendous life-changing experience. Look at you, you fancy guy with your big vernacular. Yeah. Look at I got you. words. Words, words, words. They don't teach you that in the army. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I hooked up with uh, a different veteran organization, not the one I was working for, but uh, one I'd worked with on a number of occasions. It was a leadership course, and part of the leadership philosophy of that organization, which is Vantage Point Foundation in Charleston, their, their philosophy is you have to lead yourself before you can lead other people. I thought that makes sense. So I go there and they check up on me and we set goals. And anyway, they called me a number of months after I'd gone to their program and they said, how are you? And I was drinking on the call. Um, it was probably four o'clock in the afternoon. I was drinking and the woman was like, whoa, hey, you know, mm, I don't know. I don't feel good about this. And I didn't either, but I, you know, it was just my philosophy was if I lost momentum, what was I going to do? Right. So I just kept moving just kept moving. And I was drinking to get to sleep at night and to deal with the pain emotionally and physically. And then I was doing energy drinks to get myself up going all day long and then drinking at night. And I was just running myself into the ground, um, put a lot on myself at work. And then I was the dad and I was doing laundry and I was cooking all the meals and I was probably spending too much money, not cooking all the meals and eating out instead. And, yeah. you know, it was just, everything was out of balance. Yeah. So, they call me back this time I'm on the phone, not with the, the person checking into my goals, but their mental health rep. And we had a two hour conversation where I continued to be where I was imbibing some more and got more and more drunk. And she said, she stopped me in the middle of my rant. I don't know what I was ranting about, but I know I was just carrying on. And she said, break, there's a word for what you're going through. It's pretty simple. Do you know what that word is? And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> Again, belligerent, right? With the momentum. She says, Brig, you're suffering. That's what this is. I was like, oh, just somehow, you know, in yoga, they call it a full body yes, or, you know, these mindfulness practices. I've been, I've studied a lot of Buddhism and Taoism and stuff since, and I get this full body sort of confirmation that, yeah, that's exactly what, what is happening here. I didn't have the wherewithal to put a label on it, but that's, that's exactly right. So she says, all right, listen, homie, what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to go down a list of treatment options that I think are potentially successful options for you, like plausible that you would benefit from. And when she got, she just kept just listening off. She says, as soon as you, I, is, you hear one that you want to go with, you'll feel it. You let me know. I said, okay. And she got to resident inpatient treatment. And I was like, that's the one. And I told her, that I had asked my therapist about a year earlier. I said, is there such thing as emotional bankruptcy? Cause that's how I feel. I feel like I'm emotionally bankrupted. Mm. 
And he said, yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. But yeah. And I said, do they have emotional rehab? Do they have rehab to help fix my emotions? Not like, because I, all I knew was like drugs and alcohol rehab. I didn't know anything about uh, any other kind of rehab. And then I had progressed into a nearly out of control amount of drinking. So anyway, by the time I talked to this woman at Vantage Point, she says uh, she gets to resident inpatient treatment. I said, yeah, uh, that was at 8 o'clock that night. By 7 o'clock the next morning, I was on the phone with a rehab program in Arizona. And they connected all the dots for me. They got the VA to pay for it without me having to do anything. Um, I was on a plane within two weeks. And... I was, I was there for 30, I don't know, 35 days, I think is what it was. So I got my kid babysat and I got her out to Utah to be with family. It was right before Christmas. Um, I went to rehab and dealt with alcohol. Obviously I got dry, but I was dry for 10 days before I got there. Um, cause I knew I wasn't going to get anything out of rehab if I didn't go in as sober as possible. So Canelo unified the division. I threw a party. I got super hammered. And then I woke up the next morning as hungover as I'd ever been and said I wasn't ever going to drink again. And so I haven't had a drink since Canelo unified the division. And, you know, that was pretty cool. So that's how I remember how long it's been. That's over a year ago. Makes sense. So, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so I go to this program and it changed my life. Changed. It was amazing. The connections I made were amazing. You know, the, the things that I learned and the, techniques and i got i feel like the way i describe it is i got a master's degree in the way my brain works that makes that makes and perfect sense that's what it is that's yeah. what it was and i dealt with stuff i did not know i was carrying around from the military from deployments from uh for, as far back as 2014 you know here i i was it was 2021 uh where was it 22 i don't remember 21 it was 2021 the end of 2021 and i was dealing with stuff from 2014 didn't even know it was there. I had no idea. That's, Childhood stuff. Yeah. Crazy. You never know what you're carrying around with you until it's time to face it. And then you face it and then you're like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. No, Aaron and I talked a little bit about that last week. Um, last week when we were talking in, on our show last week, um, we got into what's called forgiveness therapy. Something For that sure. Really, that, really that. Helped, that really helped me personally, but it was it was really cool for me to have that experience, you know, during those therapy sessions um, post my divorce to really go back and kind of dig deep, feel a lot of things, forgive a lot of, forgive myself a lot, forgive a lot of people, um, kind of change my perspective and understand that, that was those four sessions. There was only four sessions of that therapy, but man, it was like you said, it was life changing. It really taught me how my brain works. It changed my perspective on a lot of things. Um, it really just helped me kind of get through, you know, the whole transition into the new life that I was in. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you were able to do that. I, I advocate all that so much. And if you get a chance to do EMDR, if you haven't done it already, EMDR is amazing. I don't know what EMDR is. So I don't, I don't want to pull out the thing, but it's, uh, what it does is bilateral stimulation of your brain. So you have a somatic experience, which it's your body talking to you on an emotional level, but it's a, it's a physiological response. That's like, you know, you feel something in your chest or in your throat, uh, and that, but it's an emotional manifestation through okay. a physical form. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. So 
you can trigger that through bilateral stimulation and you you tell your you can do it with tapping you do it with light bar you can do it with paddles that vibrate left and right left and right left and right rhythmically okay yeah i know what you're, um, okay, I know what you're then, talking about now. i did that as a kid yeah that's emdr that's big that's big medicine yeah i did that as like <laughs> a child when i was like in elementary school because yeah. i was like i had really bad anger issues like i got suspended a lot as a kid um okay i threw desks um oh yeah i did all the fun things i was i was awesome it's pretty much a bad yeah, certified awesome. bad, bad yeah. a. Uh, <laughs> anyway so you know now you're now you're on the other side of it went through yeah. rehab you've done some amazing things with your daughter um thank you created some amazing memories if anyone looks at your social media you know follows you at all you know you and your daughter went on a bunch of ballpark trips and I for sure that is like my number one thing. I would love to go to like North Carolina, South Carolina for like in that area for like two weeks. Yeah. I would see I I would try to fit two games in a day. Um because there's so much you, you, different baseball just in that area. We have like twenty something ballparks within five hours of us. You have like so that. many. It's it's crazy. Yeah. If you ever look at baseballmapper.com. That's where, yes. <laughs> you can see everyone. So the guys on Baseball Mapper, I love them. They're super, they're awesome. They're so nice. I met them. Um, oh, cool. When they came up here to the Dust Devils this last year. And they're they're so cool. But what they do is just like, that whole project, the best way to try to find a baseball game. That's how I learned about collegial wood bats um, yeah. locally. And, you know, it's just been awesome. Anyways, um so now you're here. Now we're here. Um, let's wrap up with a couple questions here for you. Bring through all of it, through recovery and through, you know, coming on the other side, what has really kept you going? What's what's been I guess the in the gas tank in your car for all this? Like what's what's been your what's your why? Why do you keep going? Why did you make those choices to even, you know, sober up and keep going and what's what's your why what keeps you going so it sound it's going to sound a little cliche but my kid obviously is the one is the one factor not cliche at all uh i i i agree because i've got my own reasons everybody i think you can say my kid right but everybody's going to come up with their own spin on what that means and here's a couple of mine um the first thing is I always ask myself, I'm like, what would Olivia's hero do? You know, I don't know who her hero is. I don't ask her that, that question ever. I just, I think to myself, it's you. I hope it's me. That'd be great if it was me. It's you. Um, and I'd be flattered by that, <laughs> but you. I want it to be me. And I want, so I ask myself, what would Olivia's hero do? That's the first thing. And then on a, on a much more real, but also darker note, I think to myself, you know, if I wasn't here, if I, you know, had committed suicide, which is entirely possible, those thoughts came, obviously. If I ended up killing myself in a drunk driving accident, if I, you know, who knows? Yeah. Any number of things. Reckless behavior or any anything that I would, that would cause my own death would be the single cruelest thing I could do to that little girl. For her to be at this young age and grow up without both mom and dad, 
would literally be the most like it would be the cruelest thing I could do to her. And the day that hit me, I realized like, wow, time for some changes. Not only do I not want to model what it's like to be an alcoholic couch potato, because that's not okay. She doesn't want to see that. Think that's normal. That's not okay. Number two is she she deserves. She's entitled to as much of an innocence as innocence and childhood and fun and magic and all the things that she can get. She's entitled to as much happiness as possible. And who's here to do that? Me. So if I'm not here, she is robbed of all that. And that is absolutely an untenable prospect. No, I I so, love that. I love all that. That's what I did. That's what that's when I'm empty, that's where I land. No, I love that. And that is such a common theme, like for everyone that we've interviewed, um, you know, kind of minus Eric, but not minus Eric, because he finds that same kind of thing in his wife now. You know, that's Mm. where he finds they don't have any children, but that's where he finds that, you know, he finds that in his wife, that same kind of when he doesn't have anything left to keep going. You know, I can say for Craig, for Brad, for Evan, for me, for Aaron, for um, everyone that we've had on the show with kids that's that's always the answer there's always a spin on it too like you said there's always another reason yeah, to, right. to why it's your kids you know like you said you you phrased it beautifully it was absolutely beautiful um thank you i don't know if you heard us a couple weeks ago um but when aaron and i were talking about the the struggle was the title of the episode i used that quote that you put in our group chat um which one the one um let me find it real quick well, I, oh, the big long one? The big long one. I yeah. took that and I, I quoted you. Don't worry, I gave you credit. No, um, thanks, no thanks. plagiarism. <laughs> um, That's just, just a, it was a text message. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> just the way it was phrased, you thanks. know, it's just kind of like you just did again. You know, it's just that your children are entitled to that and we have to give it to them. We have to give them those things because maybe we didn't get them all as children, or maybe we got a different variation on them and we want to give them the versions totally. that we wanted or didn't or didn't want or that we did have. We want to duplicate those, but they are entitled to those same things. Um, and that's what being a kid is. So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's beautiful. Um, so there's always a reason why. There's always everyone has your why. And, you know, if you haven't found it yet, it's probably right in front of you. It's got to open up and be ready to receive it, yeah. you know. I'll tell you, man, I am in the, when people say, when people ask me, you know, what it's like being a dad, I always tell them I am in the business of raising a terrific little person. Yes. Dang, I was just about to That's ask you That's all I'm doing. Um, oh. <laughs> I was going to ask you a variation of that. You should save that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right here. So for the dad that, hold on. They're yelling at each other behind me. They are. Let's see here. So for the dad that lost, for the other dads, much like you were in your situation, that lost their spouse, or for moms, we have a pretty strong female following. So vice versa. Let's say you're the Great. spouse yeah. that lost the spouse, and you're raising a kid or children. What's a word or two of advice or wisdom or anything that you would have for them? Wow. Okay. So you're not alone. There's lots of advice out there. You got to take what works for you. And if it doesn't work for you, you ruthlessly ignore it. That's part one. 
because it doesn't have to work. Not everything's going to work for you. I've read a bunch of the books on grief and on recovery and on helping your kids to recovery. Some of it is hot garbage for me. Might work for you. You just got to be ruthless in what let what you let in your life and what you don't. That goes with, and I mean ruthless. Yeah, no, like, 100%. that goes with the people you date. That goes with the music you listen to, mm-hmm. the shows you and your kids watch. Yep. With each other, without each other. Sometimes I'll be like, I can't listen to this audio book anymore. It's too depressing. Oh. So I don't. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. I remember it was the summer after my divorce. I taken my kid over to my aunt's house in Seattle. We were visiting, uh, celebrating her birthday, setting up, whatever. My aunt's playing music. My wedding song comes on. Ooh. And I'm like, can yeah. you change that? That was at the wedding. And she like ran for her phone to change that. So you have to, you also have to speak up. I feel as part of that. You You do. While you're being so part two of part two of my advice is teamwork. I think that if you have kids who are of an age where they can understand the concept of teamwork as bare bones as you can make it for the younger ones and as elaborate as you want to make it for the older ones, I don't think teamwork has to be complicated. That's not what I'm saying. But I told my daughter, I said, look, we are in this together. And I feel like the concept of teamwork, especially for a solo parent who's divorced or or is a widow widower, the concept of teamwork, not only has it provided me with accountability because I'm accountable to my team, right? It's not, I'm not in it for them alone. I'm not in it for me alone. Mm -hmm. It's us. Everything is we. So it provides me with a layer of accountability. It also provides your children with a layer of empowerment. It When I turned that on and I started hammering teamwork with my daughter, she I could, I could then say, hey, teammates don't talk to each other like that if she got sassy or if she was disrespectful. Like, listen, man, that's not how teams talk to each other, okay? Or if she was trying to skirt through a lie. She lied, my daughter lied to me real bad one time. It was on that big ballpark road trip we took. And, um, she came up with this real elaborate lie. And I was like, first of all, bravo. That was (laughs) incredible. Like the army taught me how to do that. And you just came out with that information. I don't understand. Sometimes the lies that kids have is like next level. Yeah. But I told her, I said, look, I didn't come down on her with that's right or wrong. I didn't come like the very first thing I said was not that's wrong. We don't do that. I said, teammates don't lie to each other teammates have to trust each other teammates are in it together and so it was it became unifying language it became connection instead of a divisive power struggle power distance thing where i was giving her you know uh, her own spot that was beneath my moral authority i don't want to do that i want to bring her to where i am so i really heavily jumped on the teamwork bandwagon because I knew I needed some sort of system that I could use to both make me accountable and empower her. And every night before bed, I say to her, thanks for being on my team and thanks for letting me be on your team. And we do that every night before bed. I love that. And sometimes she responds and sometimes she doesn't. And that's not what it's about. I yeah. don't care about the response, but she knows. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And that's a lot. Of, that's also kind of what, what Brad mentioned as well, you know, not taking anything away from you, but when we talked about, you know, Stella and then him and Mel and, you know, that whole situation, you know, yeah, his piece of advice was very similar, was 
different situation, but the same concept is that they looked at each other and they're like, I'm in this with you. You're in this with me. We're a team. We're going to be a team through this. And they just committed to that teamwork. And I think that's such a great way, you know, because it, it just builds something different. It builds all those different ways. And I love the way that you're phrasing it, you know, instead of you could have had that big emotional reaction. Like, why the heck did you lie to me? Freaking kid. And all that, you know, Mm. Um, any number of things, but instead, you know, you already had that foundation laid and you're able to use that foundation to say, Hey, look, good lie. Good try. Right. You know, a a positive, but then, you know, bringing it back to your guys' foundation (laughs) that she understands the language that you guys speak. Um, Yeah. Teammates don't do that. And then from that, you know, that's kind of all, everything was encompassed in that statement. I'm disappointed in you. I'm upset at you. Sure. I'm mad. Right. I wasn't okay. All of it. One blanket statement. And she, she understood. She understands, you know? Yeah, I think so. So. Because it's all about culture. When you lose a spouse, you're left with the fragments of what was once your family culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you that that's your internal culture. That's your that's your physical world. Like you're gonna have to start looking around at do you like that color yellow that you chose together, or is it too painful to look at? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything down to the color of the damn pillows. No, I I get gets that. reevaluated. Yeah. And it's rough, man. So I think that you know, as, as much as you can do to bring your kids in on the decisions and the conversations, do it. Um, but there, it's a family culture thing that you have to basically revitalize and rebuild from the ground up. And it's not easy. I, I don't know. I'm just winging it. Let's be honest. And I think all of us, anybody in that situation, we're all just winging it. So bravo. Yeah. No. And it's good for you guys. It's the exact same after a divorce you know, or separation or, you know, one of those really painful events, you know, yeah. obviously getting divorced and your spouse passing away are two very different things, two very different emotional planes. Um, sure. Well, I don't know. I always tell people, cause I get that a lot. They're like, Oh my gosh, but it's nothing like yours, Brig. And I'm like, listen, that's not fair to you oh, and no, your I emotional reality either. I agree there. Cause you know, it was, you're still losing someone at the end of it. You still have to go through a grieving process regardless. Just a different kind of hard, man. Just a different kind of hard. It's still super hard. Yeah, no, agreed. It's, it's difficult. So I had to do a lot of those same things, you know, do yeah. I like how the bedroom's set up? Do I like my furniture? Do I, am I going to keep it because I don't really want to spend a bunch of money to replace it? Yeah. Am I going to like it? No, I replaced all my dishes, all my pots and pans. Things that I wanted, reorganized things, changed the decorations around, organized it, all those things, you know, to how I wanted it, you know, and I'm still noticing now, you know, like there's still a lot of things that I do that were just from my marriage that I'm just used to doing a certain way. Like I fold my towels a certain way now because that's just how I did it for so many years. Granted, the the trifold, the fold in half and the trifold is the superior way. Yeah. But still, you know, there's some things like I put things away a certain way or store things a certain way that I only did because I was with someone else. Like those weren't my ways of doing it. So you kind of have to come back, reground, refine yourself, but also, yeah. like you said, evaluate and be relentless with it and get get rid of stuff that if it's not valuing you or if it's bringing you pain of any kind, then 
Um, got to get rid of it. Got to move on. Let you got to go. be gentle with yourself too. Just be gentle with yourself, man. There's no timeline. None. There's no. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. But you're gonna do it anyway. Uh, True. Don't don't beat yourself up. But you're gonna do it anyway. Just try to be gentle with yourself. I meditate every day. That's one of the things that I learned. I meditate every single day, and it's part of my recovery practice. It's part of my grief practice. It's part. It's it's just be. It's part of my writing practice. Yeah. I'm working on a novel, and I I meditate before I write every single day, and it works. Yeah. No, I have to. For me, I have to like. You know, I kind of have to set the state. Like, for me to for me to be able to write or get creative or make content of any kind, like, I have to like. A, I have to have a plan in advance. I'm going to do it on this day and whatnot. Yeah. Because I'm also a student right now. I'm finishing up my bachelor's here in the next few weeks. But um, fantastic. You know, but I have to clean at the, I'm no dishes in the sink, dishwasher going, laundry done, and just a clean space, bed made, um, table wipe, like desk wiped down, bathroom organized, all that fun stuff, you know, because it just helps yeah. me think, you know, it's what I can control. You know, right. So, yeah, the Lord, the, the serenity prayer, we say the serenity prayer at night every day. I, I brought that home to my kid after mm-hmm. rehab, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage, to change things, things I, I can, can the wisdom to know the difference. the difference. Yeah. You know, man. And it's, I don't care where you fit on the religious or metaphysical spectrum. Those are wonderful words to reaffirm. As often oh, as one hundred percent, one hundred percent agree there. Doesn't matter who you are. Anyway, I could go on and on, but I probably should stop. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> We're going to end on this question here. Okay. Um, you know, um, we just I just did the spouse one. Um, to the other dads or parents out there who are struggling with different kinds of addictions and want to change, what advice do you have for them? Think about your kid's future. Like I said, I didn't want Olivia to grow up looking like recognizing that it was okay to be an alcoholic couch potato as an adult. I didn't want that. So I stopped drinking and got active again. And I bring her to the gym and she watches me box and she, you know, she'll watch me work out. And she wanted to start a Muay Thai class. So we got her into a Muay Thai class that happens to train right at the same time, which is super convenient. And look at that. You know what I mean? Like, and so, yeah, it's just recognize what you're modeling for your kid and see if you want that to be their future. Cause it will be, it will be 100%. You know, we talk about that all the time on the show and it's yep. your, your kids are going to reflect you, especially girls to their dads, you know, somehow that's true. Somehow yeah. girls reflect their dads almost more than they reflect their moms, you know, because yep. it's just, there's just a different bond there, you know? And, you know, you got to look yourself in the mirror. Am I the type of person that I want my daughter to date, to to marry, to be with, and all that fun stuff? Right. Yeah. So, all right, Bray. Yeah, any, I, I agree. Any last words of wisdom, advice for any of the dads out there, for any dad, any parent? One last beautiful word of advice before we wrap up here. You are enough. That was beautiful. Short, simple, love it. And it's true. You are enough. You're loved. Your kids love you. You're yeah. Whether you think it or not, your kids are looking up to you. They love you. They admire you. They want to be like you. 
Yeah. And you're, you have what it takes. You're enough. You got it. You got this. You wouldn't have been put in this situation if you weren't or couldn't be, you know, and if you don't think that you are like, like Briggs been saying, you know, talk, sit yourself down, have that talk with yourself and look at the person in the mirror. And if you're not happy with that person, then what better time than now to start changing? Yeah. Than the present. All right, Brig. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, Listeners, thanks for appreciate me. it. Um, we'll be back with you guys. Well, Brig won't. I will be back with you next week um, as we launch a new kind of order of how we're going to do things around here. So we're super excited and we can't wait. And we'll see you next week. Hey, hey, you, are you still here with me? Thank you so much for listening all the way to the very end. Definitely appreciate it. Don't forget to leave five stars, leave a comment, leave a review, head over to YouTube, subscribe, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias, even TikTok. And all of those links, plus every single deal that we have in affiliation, you can find in our link tree. Just by going to the show notes, clicking the link tree link, it really does help us just with likes, five stars, subscribes, all of that. It's a great way to support us and it really helps us keep going. We really appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. Can't wait to be with you next week.